listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. My name is Banas Arami, your host to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on the largest pharmacy podcast in the nation and one of the top 20 podcasts in genomics globally. If you're new to the podcast, I'm a pharmacogenomics medical science liaison and a mentor to pharmacists. So connect with me on LinkedIn and let's uh, start the conversation going. I want to hear from you and how you're impacting patients, payers, and clinicians and what you have learned throughout your journey that you can um, share with us. So being a PGX advocate requires going beyond a certificate and reading an actionable genetics report. So I want to hear from you. So let's connect. Um, PGX for Pharmacists podcast is focused on learning the science behind PGX since there that is where the missing gap is, is for the pharmacists and providers. And that's all the missing, also the missing gap, which will push PGX into adoption. So we cover the business side as well, along with reimbursement and more. So stay tuned for those episodes. Today, we're talking about hyperemesis gravidarum or HG for short. I think I'm going to keep it short. Um, it's put, it's a potentially life-threatening pregnancy disease that may impact weight loss, malnutrition, dehydration, and uh, debility due to severe nausea and vomiting, and actually can cause long-term health issues for moms and their babies. It occurs up to 3% of pregnant uh, women, in up to 3% of pregnant women, and it can last the whole entire pregnancy, which uh, can lead to, again, malnutrition. So to learn more, since I'm not an expert here on, on HG, we're talking with Dr. Daniel Plummer, who is an amazing pharmacist I've had the pleasure of knowing for a few years now. Um, unfortunately, she has been a three-time three survivor of HG. Wow. She's also the founder and CEO of HG Clinical Solutions. Um, you can, you know, it's hgclinicalsolutions.com. We're going to put that link in the show notes. So please make sure you visit that website and learn more. She offers personalized medication planning and patient advocacy in addition to educating providers on the HD disease state. She also has women around the world reaching out to her for advice, support, and she's looking forward to the day that PGX is utilized in all the countries that she's supporting, including US. So thank you, uh, Daniel, for coming on the show. Oh my gosh, Benaz, thank you so much for having me. It's truly an honor to be here. Like you said, we connected a few years ago and have even collaborated on some projects in the response is just phenomenal. When you see personalized medication planning and PGX being utilized as it should be, as it's available to us now, the outcomes are just phenomenal. And then the patients and the providers look back and say, why haven't we been using this all along? So here we are just still trying to make it known and available that it's there and looking forward to the day, like you said, it's available, everyone knows it and payers are willing to, to pay it 
the patient population I work with seems to be excluded from this. And as you mentioned, you know, pregnancy is a time where optimal nutrition is so important. It's not just for the mom or for the health of the patient, but it's for two, mommy and baby. And like you mentioned, through my pregnancies, I was so ill. First time around, didn't know what happened to me. Everyone said, oh, it's normal. It's, you know, nausea and vomiting. It'll go away. And that's what I knew from pop culture, from movies. And sure enough, 12 weeks came and went. It didn't go away. And then you wait 15 weeks. And then you wait 20 weeks. And then it ebbs and flows for some of us. For others, it doesn't. And I was really, really ill through the end till I delivered. And what it turns out, it's actually hormones from the placenta. Most recently not even recently, but the HER Foundation, which is Hyperemesis Education and Research, you can find them, hyperemesis.org is the top um, information source in the United States, They as well as support women around the world, published with um, Dr. Marlena Fejo, Kimmer McGibbon, USC, and the HER Foundation. They found the gene that's causing this. It's called GDF-15, secretes a hormone that causes this emesis. And Dr. Fejo actually said to me that it's higher in these women that is in patients going through chemotherapy. So you look at all the targeted medications we have for cancer patients, but yet here we have pregnant women who need health and nutrition optimally and don't have anything to treat them. So what happens in these pregnancies is we're very ill. Is it clear when something changes from morning sickness over to this extreme called hyperemesis gravidarum? And it's not, and it's still not going back to the time of Freud, I'd say, mm-hmm. understood until recently. So it's I'm kind of on a mission to get this out. We know the gene. We don't have targeted medications. The medications we're using now for this are really a band-aid in their trial and error. Women who are pregnant that are on medications are caught what I call, and I've been, you know, shared with me as well, a hole in healthcare. So when you become pregnant, you're really on your own in the beginning. You might do a home test. You might go to a doctor. You do a, a pregnancy test. It comes back positive. You don't see your obstetrician usually till around 10 weeks. That From is there, true. That's true. Right. So now 10 weeks, you have any other disease. Imagine having the flu or any other disease state for 10 weeks. You lose your job. You can't take care of your children. Your relationships suffer and your mental health starts to destroy. Now, you have a lot of women who are on mental health medications prior to becoming pregnant who are terrified. No woman becomes pregnant and said, oh, I'm so excited to take medications. (laughs) Right? No, we're terrified to take medications. So this is the perfect opportunity for pharmacogenetics. We have these genes that are that are the same with the medications we're taking, whether it's mental health, whether it's for acid, whether it's for vomiting, whether it's for so many other disease states that might overlap while you're pregnant. But before I get into those, let me back up. You had asked me, how did I get into this? So yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I've heard, well, I shouldn't say that on on live or (laughs) for your podcast, but um, I don't think I've heard or remember hearing it. I, I probably have in pharmacy school, but I, I don't remember it uh, until you and I met and spoke about HG and I couldn't even pronounce the word right. And so I was trying to learn what it is for the longest time. So now I know, but you know, my pregnancy was, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, bragging over here. It was, I didn't even feel I was pregnant until I had to, uh, you know, about a few weeks before. Wow. So I, I, when you told me your story, I'm like, wow, that really, I mean, I know the nausea and vomiting is there, but only like a few weeks that I've heard, but to have mm-hmm. it throughout the whole pregnancy, oh my God. I can, and you had that three times. So yeah, tell us, I know you talk briefly about what it is, but you also talk really nice to say, how does it transition from being just a regular 
nausea vomiting to HG. I'm just going to say HG is easier for me. Um, Mm -hmm. How does that transition happen? How do people know that's what it is? And how how did you like get all started? And what was um, your path to getting here? I guess, I guess what I'm saying is share what you had to go through, not all three times, but one of them. And so how you got here. Well, I, well, absolutely. And I'm here because I didn't get the care I needed. And I'm here because it's so important for me to share with everyone, practitioners and patients, what I know now to prevent this from happening. Nobody in today's medical you know, society that we have should be suffering from this. At least they should be getting treated appropriately to what we have now until we have targeted therapies. But nobody should be left alone to suffer is really what I mean by this. And that's what happened. So my first pregnancy, I was young. I was happily married. I was in love. I was excited to be pregnant. And I became ill immediately. And, um, you know, I reached out to die. I didn't know. Everyone, even the women in my community said, oh, it's normal. It'll go away. My mom, it's normal. It'll go away. 12 weeks. And 12 weeks is a long freaking time to be that ill. And yes. it just went on. And I remember going to the emergency room at some point and they just gave me like five bags of fluid and sent me home. <laughs> Three bags made five. Bags. I don't have those records from back then. That was I'm aging myself. That was before we had electronic medical records and things are written. Oh, wow. I actually have the medical records. Yeah, I actually have them from my third pregnancy. And and it actually says there, um, drink more fluids. <laughs> drink more fluids is not a treatment plan. Thank you for that information. And if I could, it's an encourage water. I actually have a blog on that. So I'm going That's in circles funny. here. Let, yes, let me back up. So first pregnancy, I actually just really suffered. I, I suffered. I couldn't work. I, again, relationships suffer. I find now I'm one of the luckier ones. I've met just hundreds of women. Their organs start to fail. They oh, wow. have Yes, they actually have to terminate. Either they miscarry for one reason that may or may not be related to this, but they believe it is and their doctors believe it is as well, or they have to terminate. And I know that's a hot topic in the United States right now, and I don't want to go there. This is not about politics. This is about taking care of the health <laughs> of the woman and the baby. And right. um, yes, yeah, so so that happens. And so what I've learned when I reflect on my pregnancies, wow, I'm fortunate to have my health today. And I've worked really hard because I did have bone loss. I did have a lot of PTSD that stems from certain music you hear or smells or sights you see or foods you might've tasted back then. And I I should give a trigger warning if there's anyone that is suffering from this today. And I also also want to just give a disclaimer. I should have done at the beginning that I am involved in multiple projects. So anything I say here and now today is just my own education experience through my consulting business and not related to those. So with that aside, I had these three pregnancies and I can talk another time how I ended up going through this three times and did have big gaps between my pregnancy. I remember the doctor after the first time saying to me, oh, just because it happens once doesn't mean it'll happen again, you know, which may or may not be true. I have seen that happen with women, but um, research has by the Her Foundation has shown that up to 80% of women do have it in concurrent pregnancies. So that happened. What happened after three pregnancies is I went to pharmacy school. So when I was pregnant, I did not know a lot about nutrition. My first career actually was as a professional figure skater. So I was this athlete. Oh my gosh. I was always very active. Thank you. I was always very, very active through my life. Nutrition was very important from that perspective, but I didn't know anything about pregnancy. And I had these three pregnancies where I was completely just left malnourished. And I remember sitting in pharmacy school learning about TPM, so total parental nutrition for all these other disease states. And no one mentioned pregnancy. And I thought, how could I have left 
been left malnourished through 27 months of my life while I was growing another life. And not one doctor, not one friend, not one family member, not one colleague. And again, I was not working in the healthcare profession area at that time. I was not in medicine. But nobody mentioned, hey, what can you do? And it was actually women that in my first pregnancy, I was working in a small office. And it was those women that said, this is not normal. This is, you need to go on to get healthcare. And that's when I called what I thought was a good doctor was like, you don't sound sick. Literally said that to me over the phone. Oh, wow. I'm like, well, I'm on my couch dying and using all my strength I can to make this phone call. And I ended up going to the emergency room. And like I said, they gave me bags of fluid. I don't know what was in that fluid. I'm guessing it was just normal saline, which we now know. I recently went to a session at um, ASIP for emergency medicine providers, and they had a session that Normal saline should not be the norm because when you're in a malnourished state long-term of dehydration, your kidneys take a hit, your liver take a hit, I mean, your organs, your, right, your esophagus, all that acid that comes, it starts to erode your throat, your teeth, it goes systemically throughout your body. So we're, I mean, that's not even nutrition depletion as far as thiamine, how important that is. Of course, we all know folic acid. B vitamins work together. Anyone in pharmacogenomics is going to know how your MTHG mutations work, right? It's not just one solo B vitamin. And the studies we have up until this recent one with the GDF15 gene, really those are just flawed studies. When you look at the medications that are being used, everything is conflicting. The most recent studies do show that Zofran does not cause any higher risk of birth defects than than other medication used as antiemetics. And when we look at everything that's available, there's nobody that I know that is in the space doing what I now have coined the phrase maternal medication management. So that answers one piece of your question. Do you want me to go on to the next part? Yeah, How do you know? So, uh, no. So um, I guess, you know, uh, for forgive me for not from, you know, double checking this question, I guess, but um, so really, I don't want to say all that is, but majority of what's happening is really the nausea and vomiting, right? It's just constant nausea and vomiting, right? If you have to give symptoms of HG. Yes. Okay. It's always, it's always important to get a differential diagnosis done because there are other diseases of pregnancy that can also cause that. So it's really a disease of rule out. We know there's nothing else wrong with you, Right. right? If you look even today, there are medical resources that we use in pharmacy. There are websites by very renowned hospital systems that have false information on their website. And they're going to tell you it's HCG levels. They're going to tell you, Hmm. oh my gosh, like I said, by the time of Freud saying, oh, it's the woman rejecting or doesn't want to be married or doesn't like, oh, it's horrible. And a lot of this is still believed. So I've met women who have been put into health facilities for mental health reasons because of this, because they say they're being treated they are pun intended, maybe. Um, Yes, they're being told it's anorexia, it's bulimia, they're choosing to be this way. And that is absolutely not the truth. So I'm again on a mission to prevent all these false old wives tales from holding true and have (laughs) the women treated. The other thing we run into where pharmacogenetics is so extremely important is that the medications used for anti-emetics If you think about them, anyone in pharmacy is going to know, right? They're antihistamines, they're Mm -hmm. antipsychotics, they're serotonin antagonists. So if you look at the adverse effects from these medications, what is going to happen? Now, psychiatrists are trained in the adverse effect of antipsychotics. But if we're looking at 
clopromazine, prochlorpyrazine, olanzapine. What happens long-term on these medications? Well, you're asking anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so well I'm thinking you, you got my brain. Yeah. Thinking. I, I know you work in mental right. health. Well, what, what I seeing? tell, oh, yeah, I mean, there's a long-term side effects or even short-term side effects with any medication, but what I, and I've had this question asked when I was doing retail, do I take this medicine because it's got side effects? Well, you got to outweigh the benefit versus the cost. I, I don't know. Right. So, but, uh, you know, I guess educate us. Yes. I, I don't know. So we're going to look at anticholinergic effects. We're going to look at um, what's happening with akathasia, right? We're going to see muscle spasms happening. We may see blinking eyes. And I had a woman reach out to me once, and it wasn't until after she delivered her baby that she was actually at Johns Hopkins when she was diagnosed correctly. This is this whole in healthcare that I'm talking about where a woman gets pregnant they may or may not be on other medications. Who's handling this? They then, if they're going to an OB, now there's a, I think, a, a resurgence of midwives going in in home health births and freestanding birthing centers. We just had laws that are changing in different states that are allowed this. But traditionally, the majority are still going to obstetricians. You'll see it about 10 weeks of your first pregnancy. Obstetricians, as a majority, now there are some phenomenal ones out there, but as a majority are not trained in side effects of antipsychotics. Emergency medicine doctors who these patients are going to within those first 10 to 12 weeks, potentially longer, are not trained in medications for obstetrics. And psychiatrists are going to say, do what your OB says. Right. And the OB is going to go, I think I know what I'm talking about. I've been trained this way. I'm going to put all my patients on this med for mental health during pregnancy, like sertraline. Some of them will say, oh, for postpartum care, we're going to put everyone on, on whatever their drug of choice is or what they've been using for decades. We know with pharmacogenomics, we're all going to metabolize these differently. And now it's just vitally important that everyone who is on medications while they're pregnant, whether it's for hyperemesis, gravidarum, mental health, or any other reasons that they get this test done. When we look at antacids, proton pump inhibitors, H12A, right now we only have famotidine right on the market. These all have genetic variations that are going to respond differently to each and each one of us. So we have this, this whole package going on where we do medication management in other patient populations. We know we do cardiology. When you are malnourished in pregnancy, what happens to your heart? What happens to your calcium levels? How do we test those, right? We have women with hyperemesis that are at high risk for Wernicke's encephalopathy. We know from our alcoholics, they come into the emergency room, they get a banana bag. Our pregnant women with hyperemesis are at the same risk. We should be treating them for malnutrition. And that's where that hole in healthcare can be solved by pharmacists using pharmacogenomics and educating these different Providers who work in their specialty, every specialty should be trained in maternal health. So are you saying Zofran doesn't help? Oh, not at all. It helps some. It helps some. It depends on your genetic variation. So in my case, I know I have this ABCB1 variation. So for those who are new to pharmacogenetics, we're looking at a P-glycoprotein, right? I think of it like one of those revolving doors. When you're in New York City or any cold winter climate and they won't, don't want the snow to come in or out, right? The wind to blow <laughs> in or out. You have uh -huh. revolving doors going into that office building or into that department store. That's what uh, Dantatron does to me. So Dantatron being the generic, of course, for Zofran. So it tries to go past my blood-brain barrier and it turns around 
and it gets spit back out. And it never reaches that site of action to prevent that emesis that is happening. Now, I will throw out there, Kimber McKibben with her foundation, I have to credit, said there are no meds for, for nausea. If somebody can tell me there are med for nausea, I want to hear. I've yet to find one. Now, I always thought Ondansetron was an anti-nausea medication. It's an anti-emetic. It works for a lot of people. But when it doesn't work because of a pharmacogenetic variation, and a woman can go to their doctor and say, look, I'm taking this. It's not working. But you also, we talked about risk versus benefit. Ondansetron has a high risk of QT prolongation in certain patient populations. What That's if true. you need is it through mycinrinda, right? The, the constipation from this is real. Women end up in the emergency room with compacted stools. Think about oh what gosh. that does, right? What that does to the psyche, the the well-being of that patient, their emotional health, and it's going to increase that nausea and vomiting. We know when the GI tract does not work properly, all these other disease states get exacerbated. How important is gut health? And in this disease state, our gut health is destroyed. And we know if you are taking proleptin inhibitors or H2RAs or other antacids long-term, we now no longer have the acid that is important for our body. And so at what point do you then de-escalate these medications? The other thing with ondansetron, and almost any woman with hyperemesis will tell you, one antiemetic alone does not bring them to the level they need to be able to get back to work, to have healthy relationships, to have a social life, to restore the other organs in their body. So we're looking at multiple medications. Some may work for some and some may work for others. The other thing with ondansetron is you look at how are you dosing it? What's your duration? In what form are you taking? And that's something, again, where pharmacists have a phenomenal place in care that is missing elsewhere in the medical community. We know it comes in many forms. And in fact, I have a, a lot of friends who work in compounding pharmacy. They can take any of these medications. They can take um, ondansetron. They can take phenergan. They can take metoclopramide and make it into a cream, a topical cream, and have that absorbed. Now, we know absorption with creams is not the same depending which pharmacy you go to, what concentration they're using, right? Mm -hmm. But these are options. There's another option if, if ondansetron isn't working, if you can get a pharmacogenetic test done and find out cranisetron does. Cranisetron, branding chytril for an injection, is a patch called Sancuso. It's known, it's FDA approved for post-surgery um, nausea and vomiting and for certain types of cancer. You can put that patch on, it's good for seven days, I've seen phenomenal response from this. So on women, the biggest, I think, response, the negative or adverse effect I've seen is just uh, adhesive, um, like a rash from the adhesive. So again, that's where you weigh your risk versus benefit. Yeah, I'll take that over nausea and vomiting. Right. If that's right. going to help any, to stay out of the hospital, what does an emergency medicine room cost? It's yeah. phenomenal financially what this disease state does to these women. I was fortunate to recently present at Emergencies in Medicine in Park City, Utah, to hundreds of emergency medicine physicians. And every single one I spoke to told me, they're taking up beds. We don't know what to do with them. We give them fluids. We give them antimedics. We send them home and they're right back 24 hours. And, it, and it's a burden on the women because a lot of these women they have this like mom guilt going on. They're like, I'm supposed to have a glowing pregnancy. And when do I go back to the emergency room? And if you have other children or you're taking care of anyone else, or if you have a job and you don't have PTO. And the other big issue with this is that FMLA 
If you are lucky enough to have a job that covers FMLA, it's only going to cover 13 weeks. This is something that lasts up to nine months. And if you do use it during your pregnancy, you now no longer have it postpartum when you do have that newborn baby to take care of. So that's a big uh, dilemma. And I've also recently learned just from coworkers who were pregnant who did not have hyperemesis, but had other disease states during pregnancy, that disability insurance considers pregnancy a pre-existing condition and is not covering it during their work time, even if you're getting it through your business, through your employer. So it's a big deal. When do you go back to the emergency room and what you, can you do? So there's a lot of quick fixes that I find really easy. First, you, I want to answer your question. How do you know when it's gone beyond morning sickness? Mm -hmm. And that's where there's a lot of ways. I will, you know, we went to the same pharmacy school, patient centered care, listen to your patient. Have, are, have they lost their quality of daily life? Can they shower? Can they brush their teeth? Can they make a meal and eat? When a woman says, I have not eaten food for days or weeks, they are not exaggerating. They are telling the truth. And what I've seen is medical gaslighting is real and it needs to stop. I say always bring a caretaker with you, a patient advocate, a friend, a family member, a paid one. There's a lot of pharmacists getting into this paid patient advocacy space now. Or you. one from the... Thank you. And me. Um, there's, there's one, the, the hospitals as well. Remember they do work for the hospital, but if you're not feeling heard from your practitioner at the hospital, ask to speak to that case manager, they will notice, ask for, if you're admitted into the hospital, ask to speak to the registered dietitian and have them go over and find ways to feed you. Because that's the question. When do you get a pick line? When, you know, when do you get a TPN? What other nutrients you're missing? Are there other ways so, to feed you? So Danielle, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, uh -huh. no, you're, you're fine. It's just, I'm, I'm just super amazed because I had never thought pregnancy the way you're saying it. I feel like I have mm. a new new world of <laughs> issues and I didn't think about, but I guess we, I wouldn't have thought about it anyway. So I appreciate you bringing that insight and opening a whole bunch of world that I didn't even think is out there when you become um, pregnant and the issues around it. So do you think this is something uh, like a protocol that you can create that you can distribute to different hospitals or even uh, OBGYN clinics that, hey, this is what to look out for. This is the signs. This is what this disease, like just one page. This is what this disease 100%. means. Absolutely. Here's the things to do and why. Um, uh -huh. Absolutely. Is that anything thing you thought about or did I just Absolutely. give you something awesome to do? <laughs> Um, yes, 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 yes. Some hospitals do have them. I have colleagues who are pharmacists who actually do have this at their hospital. If anyone, yes. Okay. So that's the thing that the question is, even where I work in Las Vegas, as still as a hospital pharmacist, getting through to the right people because the focus is on reimbursement so much now that this isn't affecting reimbursements from the hospital. So getting the change in that paradigm shift and knowing how important this is. I want to answer this final question. I know we're getting close on time. The other yeah. thing, so patient, patient care, listen to the patient. What lab tests can be done to show this in black and white when you're in that emergency room or going to your OB's office? We don't want to look at just one lab test ever, right? So I don't, I hear women tell me they said there weren't ketones in my urine. Well, maybe they just got whatever, were able to keep fluids down that day. So don't just look at ketones. We're going to look at 
your sodium, your all your electrolytes, right? Your magnesium, your potassium. We're going to look at how are your liver function tests going. We're going to look at your kidney function. We're going to look at so many others. I know in the hospital you don't normally test for thiamine levels, but if you're doing that outpatient, kind of hard. Does serum thiamine, does serum pyridoxine, does serum folic acid correlate to what's in the cell? Not necessarily, but those are definitely things we want to measure. Your vitamin D, your vitamin K. A lot of women who miscarry, it's because of other genetic diseases. This is where pharmacogenetics should be part of a package with prenatal care and while you're pregnant, antipartum care, if you're having problems in your pregnancy, if you're getting other genetic testing done, ask for a pharmacogenetic test too. And if you are not getting response, please reach out to me. I'm happy to reach out to your practitioners, show how it can be done and get these results for you. So you can get the proper care early and eliminate having to do a lot of the adverse effects. We always say when a, when a medication is safe for pregnancy, we're talking about the baby, that mom is ignored, and there's a lot of adverse potential outcomes with the mom. And we want to find what's safest for you from the beginning. So well, I, I appreciate that because that was important Thank you. to know what to do. No, I appreciate that. Here's one thought, and I know we are um, at time, but um, when you talk about the ABCB1 gene, yeah, there's pharmacogenomic testing that have that gene on there. Uh, mm. So ABC1, here's a thought and maybe a question, but maybe I mean, on another podcast, I don't know. So ABCB1 gene, <laughs> gene was discovered, um, if I'm not mistaken, during um, chemotherapy, where they were noticing that the concentration levels of those uh, chemotherapy agents is not where they wanted to be, the serum concentration level. So they realized there's something that, like you said earlier, spitting that uh, uh, out, and they noticed it's that PGP uh, glycoprotein or the uh, they call it, or the gateway, you call it, whatever, that yes. ABCB1 <laughs> gene that's not allowing that to penetrate through. It's kind of um, decreasing the efficacy or absorption of the medications. Mm -hmm. So what they did is, um, and I think it's, uh, you know, some some individuals you'll see if they're on chemotherapy agent, they're on a certain type of, and I forget which blood pressure medicine, the, uh, I think it was maybe Valsartan, but I'm not sure. It, they're on a certain blood pressure medications to block that ABCB1 gene to be able to mm. uptake that chemotherapy agent. So that's something I don't know if you had looked at if mm -hmm. someone... Their only option would be, for example, Zofran or something else that the body's not absorbing because of that gene. Could could that be, if it's even safe for pregnant individuals, to be on a blood pressure medicine to block that to be able to absorb the other medication? So, you know, I, I thought about that as you were talking about it. So just as something if you had looked into it all or know about it, or maybe you can let me know after. Or, I, I have not known, but if you could see my face right now, I'm like lit up. This I, is incredible. <laughs> yes. But looking oh to let me know, I, I'm I'm dying to find out if that's even a thing or when it comes to those types of medication, whether some blood pressure meds are safe and which ones, because it depends on which one is really blocking maybe CB1. I, I think it's well certain, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so we are at time. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I think I've learned and everyone else has learned a lot on HG. There's a lot of important things you mentioned that people can do and where to go for help. I will put that website on the show notes so people can read. Uh, but I know you're on um, social media um LinkedIn and things like that they can reach out to you right yeah so I have a few exciting things going on I did companies HG clinical solutions but you can find me easy shortcut hgpharmacist.com I have a free ebook there please everybody download it and share it with it's called dear ER, dear sorry dear ER doctor believe us 
it's I believe took, us. Okay. Don't believe, believe nobody else, but yourself, but believe us. Okay. Believe I got you. Us. So when I found out I was going to speak at, at EIM and emergency medicine conference, I reached out to my followers and I said, what is the one thing you want your emergency medicine doctors to know? And boy, within 24 hours, I had a hundred responses. I took them with their permission, took these comments and it's, it's um, information and advice and just a pleading, pleading for help from these women that emergency medicine doctors, just, they just don't know. So I compiled it into a little ebook. And if you want a hard copy, reach out to me. I'll mail you one to share with your emergency medicine doctors. Um, I also have a support group on Facebook. It is um, HG Solutions. You can find me there as well. And I'm going to be launching really soon a preparing for hyperemesis pregnancy. If you know anyone that is ill in their pregnancy, whether it's hyperemesis or a different disease state, I'm I'm a specialist. I'm now I'm working with preeclampsia as well for a different job. So not through my consulting, but all of this comes together. We want to support our pregnant when we have a disaster in the United States right now. We have the highest maternal mortality rate of any developed country. This is unbelievable and unacceptable. And now the government's taking notice and giving funding to states to reverse these. We have racial disparities going on. And me and all these other pharmacists, I know we are all in a position, not just the ones I know, I know one's working in the space as well. We are supporting each other. We are here for you. And my true goal is to make sure no woman ever suffers alone. We have solutions. We have support. And um, yeah, please reach out. Thank you, Benaz. I can't thank you enough for having me on. Thank you oh, so much. I appreciate you coming in. I, I really do appreciate you coming on. I should say you didn't come in. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. It was I'm, I'm grateful for what you're doing every day for all those pe uh, people that may not even know what's going on with them. So I appreciate you, and thank you everyone for listening to PGX for Pharmacists podcast on Pharmacy Podcast Network. There's no other place to go for all your PGX needs. So if you want to hear from you, so let us know what you're thinking by leaving us a review, or let us know what you want to hear more on our next episode. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.